1: Hello, you've arrived at Leaving Hillsong for the second part of Bit of a Weirdo, which is Jo's story of her life in and out of AOG churches over about 20 years and this episode is more about what it's like to function as a volunteer and as a musician for a big church like that and how that operates. Then we talk a bit about how she sees that life now and we talk about what changed in her church and her environment that led to her ultimately leaving and how she sees that time now. It's been really great getting all your comments and messages and the feedback's been just so wonderful thank you I've also taken on board the comments about language in the last episode so I've taken the decision that I'm not Eminem we haven't just left high school so from now on be assured that these episodes will be fine to share with your mother and my mother and everybody's mother and thank you for that feedback so let's jump into Joe's story
2: and they they came back and said no you're not married so your child's illegitimate, so we won't do a we won't do a public dedication. And that kind of really blew things out of the water as far as our family was concerned. Ben's father hit the roof, absolutely hit the roof. He was disgusted. And that's the first time he actually had really gotten involved in
1: the- How had your families responded to the pregnancy?
2: They were both extremely supportive from the get-go. Like they were everything that we hoped we would get in terms of christian support they really came to the fore they were incredible my parents just kept saying why do you keep going back there why do you keep going back there when they kept kicking you
1: and how would you answer that
2: i'm a christian i gotta go to church i'm a christian i'm part of the house i'm in the
1: house this is what i do Yeah, because we know about trauma bonding do you think it kind of bonded you to the group it tied me in Nobody else knew what happened in that room except for the people that were there and you and Ben.
2: And it it only had any meaning in that context. You've got to remain in the context. Otherwise, you've got nowhere to frame it. It's actually worse if you step outside that context having experienced that. You can at least frame it by saying, I'm to blame. I know where I fit. Okay, they're here. I'm here. Then now it makes sense. If you step outside of that context, like you kind of go, this extremely grievous thing happened to me. And if I leave this context, it has no meaning. It almost perpetuates itself. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you have to stay in it because it hurts so much and felt so much. Like it's a thing. Now it's a thing. Where am I going to put this thing? If I put it over there outside of this, it doesn't exist out there. This is how the abusive relationship works, is that you become tied to your abuser. You become a link to them. You become, even though you don't want to, Or what you really want is to be away from your abuser, but your life has no meaning beyond the abuser. At least you have a role. And when it comes to those people calling themselves the God people, that adds another dimension. So when you believe in God absolutely completely with everything in you, that God is real, and these people are saying we're the God people, where are you supposed to go to put this in context? Because they're saying they're the only God people and they know the truth. And that everything out there is bad and, mis, you know, misunderstood and, oh, they misunderstand us. So they don't get us, you know, and you're so special when you're here, but you're not special out there. And so you, you remain tied to your abuser because it gives you a role. It gives you an identity. It gives you meaning. And so you just stay there. And, you're little, and that's how I felt years because, later.
1: Because that being a time when you might think, well, that's if that's the worst thing that ever happened to you, why didn't you then leave then? So mm. I'm wondering what happened then.
2: What did end up? So the last straw, I think, with Central Coast Christian Life Centre at that stage, because we did go back, but we ended up leaving there and going to an offshoot church. And then we got married by that pastor.
1: Congratulations.
2: And we had, thank you, Mm -hmm. and then we had a dedication at the wedding ceremony for our little baby boy, who was nine months old by that stage. And then not long afterwards, we kind of felt robust enough, like we were actually physically moving closer to our original church Christian life centre. So we thought enough water had sort of gone under the bridge that we would we would go back and give another go. Because now we were a proper family. fully acceptable all good. So we went back. And that's when I kind of got really involved in music and worship ministry as a job. So I was really enmeshed in that. And I mean I've got to say I had the best music director ever like he was just amazing and very clued in in terms of boundaries and what we were and weren't going to do and he tried to lineate between the expectations of the pastors and what we as a worship team would do so it was a very healthy environment to be in in terms of being in music and worship ministry and I learned so much in that time this friend went on to help me create my my C D years later when I reduced it, produced a CD of my own songs and put it out. You know, I made some incredible friendships and relationships during that time and I received some incredible mentoring and support and encouragement to really believe in myself as an artist and and about my identity as an artist. And that was marvelous. But I have to tell you he was up against it so many times. He really drew lines in the dirt. And drew lines in the dirt for me. So, you know, they would say, Are oh, we going to do this, this, is, and this, and that and that. and he would go, No, we go we go to here. When KB decided to move on, when the new Kingdom Dynasty moved in, this fellow was one of the first to go. What in. Kingdom Dynasty moved in? So when KB decided to retire or back to Sydney to the mothership, there was the auditions held for the new senior pastor and This couple from South Australia got it and the first thing they did was a clean house and they knew that this particular worship pastor was going to be trouble and so they made it so difficult for him that he, the minute I met them out, I was out of there. I was out. I'd had enough.
1: So that's actually when
2: you left was when the new leaders came? That's when we left Central Coast Christian Life Centre, yeah. I was after the most incredible time of, like I have to say there, for a few years it was just absolutely marvellous. I was really happy with what my role was. I was really happy and safe in my ministry because I knew that this particular worship pastor had total autonomy of what we were doing. He was trying to develop us as artists and also in our spirituality. He was a fantastic teacher in regards to worship ministry and everything I ever learned about it was from him. He was just amazing. And I would have loved that relationship to have continued. And in the end, it was really only that ministry that kept me in it for so long. Were
1: you able to put that previous stuff aside? Yeah, I pretty much just... I mean, how were the people
2: treating you? as Like a celebrity. So I was the trophy of grace. Trophy of grace. You hung in there. You made good. You did great. You came from nothing and nobody. And look at your family. Look at you. And wow, you're amazing. God's so gracious. And plus, we got married and had a couple more kids And so we were pretty much redeemed in that respect. And the mortgage and all the things. So, yeah, you're like proper now. So that's great. Which meant that I could just actually get on with what I wanted to do, which really was just worship ministry. My musicality to grow with my worship ministry. And we made albums. I wrote songs and I I did some amazing things. I got some wonderful opportunities. But beside all of that was the politic There was always the politic. There was always the push-me-pull-you of who got to do what and who said yes and who said not and different personalities wanting certain people to be put forward and other people to be pushed back and
1: just... For argument's sake, that would happen anywhere.
2: Yeah, definitely, any workplace. But then it's never treated like any workplace, is it? It's not a workplace where you can go for unfair dismissal, go for bullying, or this person got to do that because some prophet came to town and said (laughs) ABC and I've actually been working in this role Uh. for... See, it's not like that. It's not like a workplace. Like you're not allowed to own your role. You're not allowed to own your space. You're not allowed to set boundaries. You're not allowed to have expectations. You're not allowed to have a career progression plan. You're not allowed to decide where you'd like to be in 10 years and aim for that. Now, is this a paid role? No, you were, I never you were got compa- paid.
1: You were comparing it to a workplace, I thought, maybe.
2: Because for all intents and purposes, it is a workplace. It's got all the same KPIs. It's got all the same expectations, disciplinary consequences, leadership, for all intents and purposes. And it wasn't until I'd actually left the church and went to work for a couple of NGOs that I realised that there, there is a structure around all that stuff because there has to be. You have to have volunteer procedures you've got to have you know workplace safety you've got to allow people the opportunity to progress their careers there's got to be a quality and you've got to pay them
1: that's the missing part yeah
2: what kind of hours were you giving to that so two meetings a week so there would be a maybe i think a tuesday night worship team bible study and then there would be a thursday night worship team musical practice and then they would be turning up to church on Sunday at seven in the morning and being there until 1 p.m and then they would be back there at four o'clock in the afternoon right through to whenever the church service ended I don't know how many hours that is but that's a part-time job right there
1: yeah so that's a lot of dedication
2: oh and that's if you weren't rostered on a creche because you had kids in the creche so if you're in a workplace, they wouldn't expect you to leave your desk job and go and spend a couple of hours in the creche and then go back to work. You know, I could be there at seven o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, work till 30 minutes after I, I started singing, walk off the stage, go and be in the creche until everyone had come and pick their kids up. And then you go home, have lunch with your family, have a rest, have an argument, and then go back to church and do it all again. And we actually got really sick of that, years of that. Well, We hated I'm, Sundays because we were always going to have
1: an argument. Like how many Sundays would you get off, say, a year doing that?
2: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, couple of weekends. Don't get okay. Sundays off. As I said, I had a fantastic music director, but I used to get hand-selected for certain events. Oh, we're going to have the AOG conference at our church, so you'll need to be there all day, every day for a week to sing. Okay, I can do that. So now I've got to organise childcare and pay for it. Now I've got to tell my husband that I won't be home for dinner every night because these services go till 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Okay, yep, right, okay. Oh, we're going to have a women's conference. So we want you to be there every single day for three days when the new – People were coming to audition for the role that you know Kevin and Marilyn stepped out of. And I had already said to my music director, I do one service on Sundays. I can't do any more than that. And they had been fine with him. He was, had no problem with that. And the 2IC came to my house, a meeting, and he said, we really need you to sing in church twice on this Sunday. We need you to sing at all services. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he said, no, you're not hearing me. We need you to do it, and you will do it. So you'll be there for the morning service and the evening service. And I said, no, I won't. he said, no, you will. And we? Yeah. <laughs> and it was in that morning service that I found out that the reason they shoved me up there was because I was the, you know, look at our shiny church, look at our wonderful talent, look at what you'll be getting if you step into this role. And I'm like, why am I here? I was the token wonderful worship leader celebrity that i didn't want to be
1: so you're telling me that you know none of the congregants knew that they didn't know they were coming
2: they knew that they were on the lookout for someone new this particular sunday for all intents and purposes nobody knew they were sitting in the congregation until you know it was bleedingly obvious because it was like a row of pastors and these two people sitting in the middle that i'd never seen before I'm like oh I get it I'm up here to be the dancing monkey I'm up here to be emigrant emigrant and I had just put down these boundaries and said look I don't want to work that hard anymore for you I don't want to do this because it's huge we're talking about a church of like 800 people you know and you're getting up there two services on Sunday and giving everything for hours hours and hours and hours and hours and I had just said no I'm not doing anymore I'm doing one service so I had pretty much decided that these People better be something really special for me to stick around after that. I pretty much had enough. They got rid of our worship leader pretty much straight away because they brought their own worship leaders, or well, music directors. it's
1: almost like a company and takeover, is it?
2: it? Was and they had this um, meeting where they were introducing the new pastors to the worship team. I just sat there and I was just like, they just sacked the best thing that this church has ever had. No, the way they'd intimidated me into being the dancing monkey, all that other stuff that was the right decision to leave at that time because they just they just wreaked a path of sackings throughout the church. And if you said you wanted to leave voluntarily, if you hadn't been sacked or stood down or whatever and you wanted to leave, they actually called in an interview to decide if they were going to let you leave. How is that
1: even possible?
2: Friends of ours are telling us, like, so we decided not to go back and the pastors rang us up and made an appointment to come around to tell us if they were going to release us. I was like, what? That's full on. That's culty. It was pretty messed up.
1: Where did you go after that? Did you move on to another church?
2: To my surprise, I discovered there's an actual subculture of these homeschooly, above rubies, fundamentalist women. Yes. women. So I fell into that for quite some time
1: being i mean i could homeschool for about half an hour how long did you do that for
2: five years
1: that's that's a lot of time
2: only so much you know powdered milk and home-baked bread you can handle and that was it well i think if not persistent we had you know three children at home by that stage and so we were starting to get way more cautious about what we wanted not just to be subject to ourselves but also subject our children to don't touch my kids. They're not going to your children's church. I'm telling yeah. you now.
1: So how has your life been affected by this movement now in hindsight? What do you see?
2: The number one thread has been realising how corrupt it is. The nepotism, the grasping for how to deal with real-life situations that outside the church just get dealt with. So what year would
1: it would have been the last year that you went to a mainstream Pentecostal church?
2: Would have been when we left Coffs Harbour, which was in 2008. Because this is 20 years later. Oh, late of yeah. oh, oh, oh like, like every single time we thought it'll be different this time. We're the problem, but we fixed that thing that was the problem in the last church, so we'll give it another go in this time. Like we were always feeling like there was something wrong with us. That's and horrible. that the reason why we weren't clicking in, why we weren't gelling or why we weren't getting it right is because we didn't get something fixed. And then we'd think that we'd fixed it. So we'd try again. And then we just reach the point, I couldn't do it. I just.
1: So you've been out of Pentecostal churches for then 12, 13 years?
2: Yeah, quite some time now.
1: And where's your faith at now? Where I wouldn't call
2: it a faith. There's no faith because I now believe that the faith is not in God, it's in the church. God doesn't need our faith doesn't rely on it it doesn't activate anything it doesn't deactivate anything it's not an insurance policy
1: but that little girl that always in god still believes in god
2: still believe in god but i believe in god as uh the universal intelligence the sublime intelligence the energy that's between all living things the yesterday the today the tomorrow aliens I don't know, spirits, the whole shebang. I'm really it there. That,
1: I mean, has that happened over the course of the last, well, since you left the church?
2: I think it was always there. I think there were parts of me that wanted to perhaps define my own path right from the beginning. But, you know, when someone stands up and says they're the God people and you're looking for God you gravitate there, you believe them. When you're institutionalized, as we are in this society, you believe that you put your trust in institutions, you don't put your trust in yourself. But I've learned, and this is the path that I've been on for the past few years, is that we have everything we need to commune with God, if you want to call God, God. It's all within us, it's an expression of who we are. And at this time, my actual definition of what I am would I would say I'm a witch and I identify as a witch for two reasons. One, because it keeps the Christians away from me and that's not even kidding. But two, because being a witch embodies a kind of female strength, intuition, wisdom, journey, connection to the earth, connection to an ultimate sublime intelligence that surpasses institutional religion. And I enjoy that. I'm, I've got an advanced diploma in Wicca, but I'm not Wiccan. I'm not into religion. I've also got a qualification in pastoral ministry. I've also got most of the way to a qualification in chaplaincy. The only reason I didn't get that completed was because I refused to do an internship in the church considering I couldn't get recognition of prior learning. So I could be a qualified chaplain right now if I wanted to be. As it is, I'm probably more qualified than most pastors are to pastor a church. And yet I no longer want to do that. I just think that the whole system is set up to disempower rather than to empower people. So I'm not interested in that anymore.
1: Out of those 20 years, what did they give you?
2: This is interesting because you say, what did it give me? I have been thinking about this because I know that if I were to say to those people from my past that I consider to be perhaps not you know, behaving appropriately or not being an empowering influence in my life was that they let me do things. They didn't give me anything as much as they let me do things. And they would say, but we let you do this and we let you be a worship leader, that they're the dispensary of the power and that you are allowed to do worship ministry or you are allowed to lead a bible study and if you submit to that you're basically ascribing your power to somebody else and this is what we had a real problem with the shaming of the most natural thing in the world which Mm -hmm. was getting pregnant having a baby getting married making a family together trying to prove ourselves and we were still somehow not qualified to speak into people's lives And we just went, we're just, I'm sorry, we're just not buying that anymore. We're not interested in what you're going to let us do. For example, my own mental health diagnosis. Like I was diagnosed as bipolar at 17. But I can see so much of my Christian walk as a member of the church has been impacted by my mental health and in many ways exacerbated. Because I've been talking to my therapist about it. She's very interested in this idea that I had a perception and a reality of God outside of my familial context and that is that part of my mental illness having mania would be such a good attribute and And I have to tell you I've been in services where you sit there and listen to this person preaching and you're thinking you're mentally ill that is this dichotomous balance between the pastor preaching these incredibly off the planet maniacal messages and his wife going into damage control. But we're not allowed to talk about it. I'm listening to this pastor, senior pastor of a church, basically describe his psychotic episode and having to come back from that. And here he is up the front of a church. And I've listened to a couple of his sermons and they are absolutely just gibberish. And then right. either the junior pastor or his wife would get up and say, "Oh, so what pastor blah, blah, blah meant to say was, it's a collective psychosis whereby the the indications are the same so we'll see someone demonstrate oh we roll on the floor or we run around the room and then they will mirror those actions because they think that it's the problem with these things is that you go into them and you feel like you're left out if you don't have it people are much more vulnerable and much more willing to even subliminally enter in because they feel that there's that exclusion if they don't exhibit these um, behaviors so they're much more vulnerable to do them, even if they, they never would have done them in real life. It's about this. They're the God people. I belong to them. I'm part of them. So I've got to exhibit these behaviours and adopt these ideas as opposed to well, what's the alternative.
1: What have you taken away from the 20 years of AOG and Hillsong experience?
2: Yeah, that's a two-sided coin. There's the good things that you took away and then there's the not so good things that you took. I benefited so much from what I went through Through what I opened myself to, what I learned and like in terms of my musicianship and my artistry I learned so much. I was thankful, I now am thankful to have been under the care of a person who had a very high level of professional musicianship and so this person wasn't some airy fairy weaver, he actually was an incredibly gifted musician and so the support and the encouragement that he gave me in terms of my artistry is invaluable it goes with me to this day his confidence in me that i could carry through the tasks that were assigned to me built my confidence in a way that transcends the church so even though i'm out of the church now i fall back on that going you know what i i respect that person so much that i know that what they thought of me was real and i i carry that through to this day on the reverse side of that was that i feel i was exploited I feel I was infantilized. I was made to feel like I was brainless and that I couldn't possibly know what was good for me. I mean I'm talking in terms of my ministry now, worship ministry and I was never allowed to stray beyond that. I always believed that I had administrative skills. I would always believed that I had organisational skills. I always believed that I had the ability to to do a great many things that later proved to be really true, that in the church were just like, no, we're not going to let you have control of that. So after we left, you know, in between sort of and after we left the church, I went to work for, as I said, NGOs like, the Cancer Council and World Vision who just picked up so quickly on what they perceived obviously you're capable of this and I was like really and I loved that because there was actually respect for what I did I didn't feel exploited I didn't feel being up on stage for all of those years was definitely a benefit to me.
1: What would you say to somebody who's just started going to a mainstream Pentecostal church?
2: Hold on to your actual life stay connected to your actual life and if your life starts to look like the church is your actual life, you need to take stock. The church is not your life. They will try and be your life. You take an organisation like Hillsong and they will try and be your life. They talk about the house because they want you to believe that that's your home. They want you to buy into the idea that it is safe, that it is secure, that it is where you should bring everything that you're worried about. They, they, They know what they're doing. They want you to transfer your reality into their reality and then they build a lingo and a currency and everything around that so that you will swap what you know to be true for what they want you to believe and this is the greatest danger is if you cut ties with what you know to be your reality because you think it's of the world, you think it's evil and they will tell you that and so you exchange it all and buy completely 100% into the church. Church should be part of your life. Later down the track, you realise you're just a commodity to be passed around or a commodity to be manipulated or just like, oh, we've got this. What have you got? Not all of your life.
1: I can't thank you enough for sharing all of this today because I know it doesn't come at no personal cost. And I also know that there's a lot of people thinking women as well as men that will really resonate with your story and are going, really? Someone else? This happened to someone else too? And that's all we've been trying to do. So thank
2: you so much. My absolute pleasure.
1: Massive, massive thank you to Joe. I know that story hits home for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So if it brings stuff up, make sure you talk to somebody or journal something. Make sure you look after yourself. These stories are pretty intense and it's important we all remember that and look after ourselves. Thank you Joe. There'll be another episode of Leaving Hillsong on Wednesday and then Sunday. Thank you for being part of this conversation. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. There'll be another episode of Leaving Hillsong on Wednesday and Sunday. We'll talk to you then. Bye.